winter was here, but we are just getting started here on the season five premiere of Game of Thrones on our Game of Thrones rewatch here on Post Show Recaps. And now here are the two guys who will reveal which birthmarks look like <laughs> which kingdoms in Westeros here today. I'm Rob Sistrino here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I am doing well. So my most notable birthmark is I've got this patch of freckles on my neck, uh, mm-hmm. which many people often think is a hickey, but it's not. It's the freckle patch, the iconic Josh Wiggler freckle patch. Probably looks like, uh, I don't know, like the marshlands. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's Wherever not so much from. A, a, a birthmark, but my right nipple is in the shape of the Stormlands. <laughs> <laughs> that is... In, if you're looking at it straight on, if it's from the profile, not as much. That is in the running for one of the worst things you have ever said on the record, I think. It is. That's just, that's just, what, a, what, a, what an awful remark. But what not if ter- you include all the off-the-record <laughs> stuff I've said. Yeah, if you include the off-the-record stuff, uh, you, you'd probably be out of work, <laughs> I, would, I would expect. You'd don't say dead. that. Don't get the no, 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 no. People are going to start digging. Uh, <laughs> oh my God! Welcome back. We are a little punchy because we took a week off between uh, seasons four and five, so that we could uh, gird ourselves for yeah. the wars to come, the dawn to come here in season five of Game yeah. of Thrones. We took a week off, but we didn't take nearly as long off as Game of Thrones took in between season four and five. Yeah, and you know what? For a season that I have, I believe on the the last podcast I said it, I've said it before, uh, that season five, like season two, is sort of a a season of Game of Thrones that that I'm a little bit anxious about, that I'm dreading just a little bit because there's some storylines in here that I I don't remember terribly fondly, uh, Dorn in particular, but a couple of others that I'm sure we'll point out along the way, even in this recap. That all being said... This was a really great episode of Game of Thrones. I'd forgotten that season five started as strong as it did. Yeah, I mean, lots of great setup here on April 12th, 2015, uh, the original air date of the season five premiere and a lot of fun stuff. We'll check in with a lot of different places. No Aria here. We have to wait for her to uh, get to Bravos next week. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, next time. But uh, for the most part, uh, the rest of all of the major characters are here. It's it's a you know no brand obviously uh, brand has been removed right. from our diet for season five of Game of Thrones uh, but yeah a lot of the other major storylines a, a very healthy uh, amount of time spent on the Lannister siblings and the fallout of the death of Tywin Lannister uh, we are going to go out east through Tywin. Uh, through Tyrion, rather, and we're gonna we're gonna find out more about what's going on with Daenerys and everything in Meereen. Uh, a a lot of stuff happening at the Wall in the fallout of the big war against the Wildlings. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really hitting all of the the major points, and it's it's nice because a lot of storylines are starting to collide, or at least like the the slow process of that beginning. Um, you know, with John and Stannis, those storylines now being interlocked. It's very economic for the storytelling and I think gives both storylines a little bit of a boost. Okay, let's dive into talking through this season five premiere. And this starts with something that I don't believe we've experienced uh, to this point on Game of Thrones, but we have a flashback. That is something that we will see more of here now that we've gotten to seasons five, six, seven of Game of Thrones, where we will see uh, certain historical events that happen before the start of the series. Is there anything that we see in a flashback before this, Josh? Nothing like this. This is this is the first of its kind. And and I actually think first of its name first of its name and i i actually think it, it might be it might be the only one of its kind really where right. uh you know outside of you know the stuff that we're going to see in seasons six and seven bran is always tethered to that stuff yeah. where we're either seeing events through his perspective or he is recounting what he has seen in his visits to the past this is just a cold open set long ago uh with you know a a very young cersei lannister and her friend malara uh as they are going to go and see i'm sorry there's just a little bit of that in the air uh as they're about to go and see maggie the frog and get sort of the the legendary maggie the frog prophecy there is no scene quite like this 
in Game of Thrones, certainly up to this point, and I would argue beyond this point. So it's a little strange in that regard that this is the the flashback that they chose to to pull the trigger on. I hope it's not indicative of what the the prequel plans are. Yeah, it's just like a little run of the mill. Indiana Jones uh, remembering that time when he was uh, the uh, River Phoenix young Indiana Jones. Yeah, except that was better. <laughs> that was that's a that's a great that's a great sequence. Love that sequence. <laughs> you right. don't always win, kid, but sweet scar. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think that's exactly how the dialogue went. Probably not. Probably not. But there's there's not much really going on. I mean, this we're getting like the the Maggie the Frog prophecy here as Cersei is is going to seek out the Wood Witch, uh, and this is where she's gonna you know hear some of the stuff like you'll marry the king, you're gonna be the queen, you'll have three kids. They won't be the king's kids. Uh, gold will be their crowns, and gold will be their shrouds. This kind of fuels a lot of what's going on with Cersei later in the in the show. But as a starting point to the season, I still think it's kind of an odd way to to begin season five. Right, Josh. So we now that we got this as a uh, Games of Thrones viewer, somebody who is a true authority on the show. How do you view the Maggie the Frog stuff? Do you view it as that? Okay, this prophecy is absolutely going to come true, or these things are self fulfilling prophecy? Is I mean, Cersei is like really mean to Maggie the Frog right before this. Uh, is it possible Maggie the Frog could be messing with Cersei? I mean, it's if so, then she like really was bang on with some of these predictions, mm-hmm. right? You know, she says you'll never wed the prince, you'll wed the king. Right. That's exactly how it goes. You know, she doesn't marry Rhaegar Targaryen, she marries Robert Baratheon after he wins the crown. Um there is uh will will the king and I have children? No. The king is gonna have twenty children and you will have three. That's very specific. Yeah. That is that is so specific. Uh, and gold will be their crowns and gold their shrouds. And all three of them with their golden hair uh, ended up dying in covered in golden shrouds. Uh, so if this is just like her messing with Cersei, then, man, somebody gave her the spoilers, I feel like. Mm, yeah. Now, Cersei does come in and tells <laughs> Maggie the Frog right off the bat, um, you know, uh, you're boring. You know, uh, she's uh, you know, have your boring eyes gouged out. I don't think you want to insult the psychic or the prophet right before they do your reading, right? Yeah, but this is just sort of Cersei's mo, uh, and just kind of letting us know from from the jump, Cersei Lannister has always been sort of like this, of just like very cruel and dismissive at best of anyone who is beneath her station, which in her opinion is virtually everybody. Uh, you know, this is a few years removed, you would think, from the story that Oberyn Martell told Tyrion towards the end of season four of how she treated him when he was a child. Uh, so that's like your earliest starting point of Cersei's cruel but it's nice to know that even when she was a kid she was she was kind of a monster she was always sort of a monster Um, is there anything from the maggie prophecy that you found especially interesting in light of some of the stuff we know later on in game of thrones because i did think that there was one detail that was kind of interesting um well uh let me hear what you have to say and then i have another uh question to ask you about this so she cersei asks will the king and i have children Yes. Maggie Maggie the Frog says, no, the king will have 20 children. You will have three uh, through seven seasons of Game of Thrones in the seventh season of Game of Thrones. Cersei is yes. pregnant. OK. Yeah, this is what I want to talk about now. Yeah. For, first off, and I mean, we also uh, heard this story about in from the first season where Cersei talked about how she had a baby that had uh, black hair that got taken from her uh does is that not canon i guess not like i mean did they did they forget that like is that a detail that they that they missed that they're like oh yeah we told that story about the time that cersei had another kid uh kind of feels that way right Mm -hmm. unless that was a lie that she was telling the cat stark which is not outside of the realm of possibility but then also such an elaborate lie. Yes. So. And again, that we also have uh, Cersei. She's telling Jamie about how she is going to have a baby in season seven. I guess is this ominous for uh, said baby. Is yeah. this a lie? 
Yeah. Well, I was, you know, I was thinking about it as now, like if, if you're to take Maggie, the frog's prophecy as gospel, as like, this is, you know, these are words to live and die by, then you should be very, very nervous about this, um, about this pregnancy of Cersei's right now. But I think you bring up a really good point about the other story that she told earlier in the series. Do you want to just accept that as continuity gaff on the parts of the writers or should we be looking at, and, and then like, should we be looking at this as kind of a clue that Cersei's pregnancy is not going to bear out in the future? I think it's not, you know, taking too big of a swing to say that something will happen to prevent Cersei and her fourth child from really cohabitating the same space. Mm -hmm. Don't you think? Like, I feel like just the trajectory of Cersei's storyline is such that either she is going to die or some other great tragedy is going to befall her. Like losing this baby would be a big one. I think, um, I don't think, however the story shakes out, I think I've said I could imagine game of Thrones ending and Cersei is still alive, but I have a very hard time imagining game of Thrones ending Cersei being alive and happy. Uh, I think that if she survives this series, it will be, with a very bitter, ashy taste in her mouth. We also hear from Maggie the Frog about the prophecy of how uh, you will be queen for a time. In comes another younger, more beautiful to cast you down and take all you hold dear. I know for a while that there was an interpretation. Oh, wait, this could be Marjorie. Marjorie right. could be the one. But Marjorie is off the board. Are you seeing Anybody else that could potentially uh, fit the bill other than Daenerys? Yeah, I mean, I think Daenerys is the obvious one. You know, she's the one who is, uh, you know, she's the the dragon queen has arrived in Westeros by season seven and is certainly antagonistically opposed to Cersei. Um, I am a big Sansa fan, as you know, and would love to see Sansa. Queen. though. Yeah, I think Queen of the North is not a huge stretch. I don't think that it's a it's a massive stretch. And if you're trying to think of what kinds of active storylines Sansa could have in the final season of the show, something where she and her forces are taking Cersei and her forces on head on while Jon and Daenerys and whatever are dealing with the White Walker stuff. I think that there is there's narrative room there. Um, and I think for Cersei to be undone by Sansa rather than for Cersei to be undone by Daenerys, just in terms of bringing characters full circle, mm -hmm. I think that there's there's more there in terms of the history between Cersei and Sansa than there is with Cersei and Daenerys. But I think the obvious read is that, yeah, Daenerys is coming in and she's going to she's going to be the younger, more beautiful queen who casts Cersei down. Also, Maggie ends up like hysterically laughing at the end. What does she uh, think is so funny? What has she seen? Well, because this little girl was just like super cruel to her. It was really mean to her. Just woke her up from a nap. Not for nothing. Uh, and now she has seen her future and Cersei's future is terrible. Mm -hmm. so she, she's, I think she's finding some joy in that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do we think that there is a especially ironic end that she is seeing for Cersei? You know, I think a lot of speculation has been about, will Jamie kill Cersei? Is that going to be a way that Cersei is taken out of the story? The Valonqar. Uh, right, right. That the younger sibling will actually not be Tyrion who, who comes and kills her, but will actually be her own younger twin brother. Um, so maybe there's something with that. I think just like the whole scope of Cersei's story has been you know, sort of like this cosmic joke that has been played on her. And we're kind of in a moment in her story where it's like, well, who's laughing now? Cersei is a very, very dangerous individual, but will it hold that way? Will it, will it stay in the, in the way where Cersei is going to be constantly underestimated and constantly cutting people down? I doubt it ultimately. So Maggie is probably laughing about whatever horrible end is awaiting Cersei Lannister. And you got to imagine live or die. It's going to be, it's going to be brutal. It's going to be tough. All right. So we cut to Cersei in modern times uh, that she is outside of the great sept of Baylor. And Josh, I have never gone back and watched this episode after the season five finale. 
of all of this and when uh, we have uh, Cersei taking the uh, great shame walk I mean right. this is gr- uh, amazing bookends here of that we open the season on Cersei walking up the steps outside of the the Sept of Baelor with the bells tolling in the background and we end the season on her shame walk uh, through the streets with the bells tolling there's a there's a good amount of uh, bookending in this episode that I was very impressed by. Not just the Cersei storyline, which you're you're pointing out, and honestly, I I wasn't even latching on to that. But great call, totally, a hundred percent. Like that's where we're gonna leave Cersei. Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna get to that really really terrible place with her later on in the year. Um, but with with the the Jon Snow storyline, mm-hmm. uh, that the Jon Snow storyline, this first episode is going to end with an execution in the middle of Castle Black. And of course, it's going to end with an execution in the middle of Castle Black with Jon Snow's death, um, with the burning of Mance Raider, with Stannis thinking that this is a masterstroke and Melisandre thinking that this is a masterstroke and Shireen and Solice Baratheon watching on from the balcony um, only for for a later stake burning of Shireen burning at the stake being something that signals the end of the Baratheon regime. Uh, I think there's just there's a lot there in, ter- in terms of like the connective moments uh, from start to finish. So in terms of like this, the structural bones of season five, I was that that was one of the reasons why I was very impressed with this episode that they're that they're really setting up a lot of where they're going to go by the end of the year. Some of that middle stuff we can quibble with, but I think in terms of setup, it's it's really strong. And you're 100 percent right that this first scene with Lena Headey as Cersei Lannister post flashback, um, it's it's great in the context of, of where, you know, uh, she, where she's going in her story this year. Okay, so we get to Cersei and Jamie back in the Sept of Baelor. We're not talking about the last time that they were here, and they're here with Tywin's body. Now, Josh, I don't know if this is uh, how much they try to do this, but I feel like they really nailed the Tywin Lannister eyes with the stones here in this scene. I felt like they really got stones that look like uh, he was still awake. I think they mail it in for some people. Has anyone done the um, the the you know how like people like to put like googly eyes on things? Has anyone done like putting googly eyes on Tywin Lannister here? I'd love <laughs> I to see that. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that'd be interesting. They really, they really I, nailed it though. I saw uh, screen screen grabs like gifts from the Venom trailer that just came oh, yeah. out recently with googly eyes on Venom's face. It's a great look. Yeah. Uh, I read that uh, a lot of people are uh, getting uh, pretty thirsty for Venom. Really? I think he, Venom is hot. Venom is hot right now. Yeah. Like turds in the wind. That's something he says in the trailer. <laughs> well, what a weird thing. Anyway, we don't need to talk about Venom anymore. <laughs> so Jamie is talking about how like, look, hey, dad, he wanted us to have all this. That's why he worked so hard. And Cersei is uh, really ripping Jamie a new one here. Cersei's in in control here. Uh, you know, she's she's mad, but she's also in in the position of authority in this moment where she's like, our enemies outside, they had nothing to do with our father being dead. The person who killed our father is the enemy that I've been telling you about for years, and you've been defending him. She's obviously talking about Tyrion because Jamie set Tyrion free. Uh, and Cersei has the great zinger of Tyrion may be a monster, but at least he killed our father on purpose. You killed him by mistake. Uh, fair, fair, fair enough. You know, that's yeah. essentially what happened here. Jamie is trying to argue. No, no, that that's what they want us to. They want us to be fighting with each other. Yeah, well, um, Cersei's not really listening to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jamie, like he's not wrong in the sense that like people would love to see the Lannisters fall apart and, uh, you know, you know, just like kind of like crumble uh, in the face of this huge obstacle of losing the patriarch of their family. Uh, but he's also wrong in the sense that like nobody assassinated uh, Tywin out of some like major political plot. It was it was his brother who he mm-hmm. freed. We shot him in the in the guts while he was taking a poop. Okay, all right. Uh, let's pick things up with uh, Tyrion and uh, Varys, who are in Pentos, and we uh, get Tyrion out of the box. Uh, we see some like Tyrion airhole POV. And finally, uh, the uh, box is open and Varys helps him out. 
Uh, Peter Dinklage, I think, does a really great job of acting in this scene of that. I think you really feel for Tyrion like he has been in a box for a week and a half. Yeah. Great barf acting as well. (laughs) Really good job. Um, Fantastic barf acting. I remember uh, this scene leading us to a uh, a letters to Pentos uh, (laughs) hashtag in our original game of thrones podcast if i if i recall correctly <laughs> still great still great yes uh, <laughs> varus he does know a thing or two about uh shipping human beings inside of crates uh that he has ordered and received uh, yeah so- but i bet that this is the first time that he's had to deal with theses through the air holes i don't think he bothered with the other guy probably not probably not and so uh, we have a, a little, little bit of a talk of, you know, who had it worse, whether it was Tyrion in the box or Varys having to take care of Tyrion outside of the box. Uh, but we find out that they are at the home of Ilio uh, from Pentos, uh, a name that we have not heard in some time, Josh. Yeah, uh, and not a name that we'll really hear much of again, I don't think. Uh, Illyrio seems like he's going to be somebody who is more important in the book than he is on the show. They kind of just sort of cast him in the first season and didn't do much with him uh he is a political ally of of Varys's. he's somebody that you see in the very first episode of the whole show you see him again with Varys in season one uh when they're walking and talking and Arya is following them underneath uh the red keep um but other than that i don't think we've ever seen illyrio on the show i doubt that we will ever see him again it is kind of just enough that here we are in the the home of Illyrio, which once housed Daenerys Targaryen as, once again, in terms of bookending, uh, Tyrion is going to be on his way to meet the Dragon Queen later this very season. Yes, and we find out Varys's true intentions here, or at least as he's revealing them to Tyrion, that Varys has always been a never Baratheoner. And has been, you know, working to undermine the Baratheon administration from way back when. Yeah, he's a never bobber. Uh, He is out on Bobby B, uh, always has been and has always wanted to support a Targaryen regime restored. Um, But there's been a chain of mistakes that have led them both to this moment. Things have gotten worse, not better. And I like Varys addresses Tyrion as my lord. Tyrion debates whether or not he is still a lord. Are you still a lord if you kill your father? He doesn't know. Uh, As far as uh, killing a whore, he figures that probably happens pretty often. Yeah, that they probably don't revoke your nobility for that. Uh, so he's he's very sardonic. He's just like kind of down. Um, you know, he has he has uh, he has drank his way across the narrow sea. Why stop now? So he's just very wobbly, very surly, very salty. He's going to puke and keep drinking. Mm-hmm. This is the, you know, the boot and rally. Uh, Tyrion Lannister is in full effect. I, I don't know. I feel like in this first episode, at least, I think that they're doing a pretty good job of Tyrion still reeling from the events of season four. I feel like that softens a bit in the episodes ahead. Josh, we get an exciting harpy drop off the top of the Great Pyramid of Moraine. Do you have a harpy uh, sound drop ready to go? <laughs> <No>. in, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was <laughs> that? Was a harp? That was a harp. Oh, that was like a Chewbacca harp. Yes. Okay. Hard to yeah. do a mouth harp effect. Yes, it's a it's a difficult instrument to emulate with just. Uh... <laughs> That's one where you really do need the instrument in, in uh, Ross Marquand, I bet, could do a great harp impression. Probably. So, yes. all right. Harpy off the top of the uh, Great Pyramid. Uh, we follow a unsullied soldier. We would come to know him as White Rat. Uh, going White Rat. <laughs> White Rat heads to a pleasure house in Marine. And we see a weird situation going on. Uh, we're going to be as confused as uh, Missande will be later trying to understand why the Unsullied are visiting pleasure houses in the first place. She's sort of like uh, stroking his head. I don't know if this is because the Unsullied are taken from their parents at a young age where then yeah, this is sort yeah. of like arrested development, uh, not like the TV show uh, situation where, okay, they've never had the love of a mom, but I don't know. She's topless. Anyway, 
she ends up uh i'm not sure does she slit his throat or does the harpy slit his throat no the harpy slits his throat there's a son of the harpy who just like sneaks up on white rat while white rat is just kind of slumbering very peacefully him, i don't really know why how he gets in there he just like tiptoes up in front of him i think that the show does establish that the unsullied are not as awesome as they were built hmm. right like i feel like you know if the unsullied really were like the super terminators that they were hyped up as white white rat probably hears the son of the harpy coming forward yeah um but i think there are multiple reasons to believe that the tv show's version of the unsullied are a little bit ha ha <laughs> that's that my heart impression the frog made yeah ha ha yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we see the son of the harpy is so creepy looking, right? Yeah. Like that feels like he feels like a Ryan Murphy character. Like I feel like you could see like American Harpy story. Like that is uh like that is a, a an iconic looking killer. He looks like the carver from Nip Tuck. <laughs> All right. Uh Danny and Sebastian uh, are getting the bad news about a uh, white rat. They're not happy. Uh, the harpies have struck here. Right. Which is setting up, uh, you know, the Marine story for season five, which is that ruling this town ain't going to be easy for no Daenerys. It's no picnic. Uh, and there will be casualties. And this will be uh, the one of the most trying times of Daenerys's budding career as a conqueror, as a queen, as a ruler. Uh, and it is it is going to start here with the death of White Rat. Uh, a certain other white-haired individual in this scene of uh, doing the post-mortem on White Rat's death is not going to make it much further. Uh, a few people in this scene, in fact, are are going to be killed uh, thanks to the Sons of the Harpy uprising. So uh, it's it'll be it'll be fun to see how all of that plays out. I think that this is this is another one of those storylines that I'm a little nervous about as we are about to make the 10 episode trek across season five of game of thrones not something that i remember terribly fondly Mm -hmm. nowhere near the dumpster fire of karth i think aka Uh, the worst to come oh god that was the worst that was the (laughs) worst that was the worst in the past yeah the worst that came uh yeah i i hope uh that that sticks i hope that uh that the Marine storyline this season does not prove to be like shockingly worse than memory. Ooh. But I remember it being fairly average and sometimes frustrating. Uh, we'll see. I think it starts strongly in this first episode. I think the sons of the harpy are set up to be very creepy, yeah. uh, dangerous. Um, it just doesn't necessarily always bear out that way. Moving yeah. forward. I think it's going to have a true Valley. And then, uh, you know, uh, much like Danny riding Drogon off, I do think, that it will uh, rise in the end to a degree. Yeah, I think so. I think it has a, a strong start. I think that first scene with White Rat, I think uh, the, the, I, I like the way that that was constructed. I thought they did a good job. OK, so w- Danny's solution to this is that's it. White Rat gets a proper burial in uh, the temple and yeah. does, oh, I don't know how that's going to go over. Danny does not care. She does not give an F. No, she says angry snakes lash out and it makes chopping off their heads that much easier. Uh, so she thinks that by angering the sons of the harpy, she will ferret them out and she will be able to uh, to to kill them. Yeah, let's get them. antagonize them, which we'll see. Let's see how that yeah. works out. It's okay. a ferret. All right. Uh, Missande will talk with Grey Worm, wants to know, but why would an unsullied go to a brothel? And Grey Worm says, give it a couple of seasons and I'll let you know. (laughs) Okay. Patience. Patience. All right. Uh, Let's go to Castle Black and uh, check out. We see uh, Jon Snow sparring with Ollie. Right. And again, so the very first thing that you see of Jon Snow in season five is him in combat with Ollie, uh, training Ollie how to be a warrior, training Ollie how to survive in combat and how to how to kill a man and if he's necessary. A yes. And of course, we know that Ollie will deliver the killing blow. So, uh, again, just great, uh, great symmetry that is being set up here with this first scene with John. Yeah. Uh, John tells Ollie, keep your shield up or I'll ring your head like a bell. Yeah. 
That's what you, you said. can ring his bell. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Sam and Gilly are talking, and uh, that uh, Gilly wants to know why Sam isn't training. Sam getting a little arrogant after killing the White Walker and the Fen. Yeah, I killed a White Walker and a Fen. I might be the first in history. Sam, you're not. I'm sure you're not. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure the Game of Thrones prequel will establish that at least one other person has killed both a White Walker and a Fen. Yeah. We can't be the first. You can't be the first. So we will talk about uh, from the election going on politics talk at the uh, at the wall right now at Castle Black. Uh, we need to uh, see who is going to be in charge of uh, the uh, Night's Watch moving forward. Uh, Alistair Thorne, we talked about how awesome he was last season uh, when we got to the watchers on the wall. Uh, back to being a bit of a dingus. Bit of a dingus, uh, limping around, still suffering from the wounds he sustained in the Watchers on the wall, uh, acting kind of like he is just a, a shoe in, a guaranteed pick, a lock, if you will, and not the guy who's dead uh, to be the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, to be lucky number nine nine eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like when Sam and Gilly are talking about uh, you know what's going to happen next for them because you know if uh, Thorn ends up running things around here, he's going to make Gilly leave, and Sam, you know, you just you know trying to act macho like, hey, I told you, look, wherever you go, I go. And Gilly says, yeah, but if you leave, they'll execute you. And it's like, uh, Sam didn't think about this. No, but this is going to be the start of Sam uh, Sam Tarly as the the best survivor player in Game of Thrones, right? Like, I mean, he's going to make a really big move here coming up pretty soon. He's going to get the right guy installed for the job, and it's because his back is against the wall, and if he doesn't act, his torch will be snuffed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for more on that, listen to uh, Survivor Riverlands. Yeah, two or something. All, all of, one of them. there's the, the, the there was the the Dothraki Sea. I don't remember which one that <laughs> Sam kicked so much butt in, but he was really good. I think it might have been the uh, brains versus beauty versus brawn. Was that what we did? No, no, we've done that one as well. <laughs> but I don't think that I don't think Sam was the. Kid. We've done a bunch. I think we've done two or three at this point. Oh God, yeah, there's a lot. Someone will <laughs> chime in and let us know. All right, so let's talk. I think maybe do we do heroes versus healers versus hustlers? Is that the one that? Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's the one. That's the uh, one. Speaking of healers, uh, John is going to uh, talk with Melisandre. They are going to have an elevator ride. Okay, and and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. I think that Melisandre is uh, inappropriate here. She's asking uh, John, "Are you a virgin?" A little bit probing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's going to say no. And she's going to say good. Uh, Why? And I think I think a lot. Of, well, because if he was a virgin, maybe she would feel inclined to murder him for his king's blood, mm. possibly like, you know, that's these are the types of people that she loves to, to burn as sacrifices to the Lord of Light. But does she know that Jon Snow has king's blood in him? I don't think so quite yet. Yeah, but it, she's good as in, you know, it's good for him, not good for her. Um, yeah, well, maybe she likes him and doesn't want to kill him, okay. you know, maybe and maybe, you know, at this point, I do think that she like she sees things for him she sees Jon Snow in the fires and she knows that Jon Snow has a bigger part to play in stuff uh and just I don't think she knows quite how yet like she doesn't know exactly what Jon is all about but she knows that he has a bigger role to play uh, there's also a, a little conversation about uh does she ever get cold and she says no uh you know she has the uh, Lord of Lights fire within her must uh, suck for the actress, uh, Karis Von Houten. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Karis. Karis. Yes. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, she doesn't get a jacket in any of these scenes. No, it's a tough gig for her, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, and especially because so much of her storyline in the, the later stages of Thrones do take place. It, it all takes place in, in the north, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a, a, a difficult, a difficult deal. Yeah, a difficult deal for that character. They must yeah. have her like under a heat lamp until the second she has to, you know, go on set because uh, she has to she can't be shivering. I was also thinking how she never gets cold, but that very memorable scene in the season six premiere uh, where she reveals herself to be uh, secretly an old woman in disguise. Doesn't she just like wrap herself in a blanket at the end well, of that? Well, she takes the necklace off. So maybe oh, that's so there, the, the fire, the fire goes away. Yeah. 
Okay. Got it. All right. So they, they get Jon Snow up to uh, the top of the wall for uh, a meeting with uh, Stannis and Davos. Great green screen action happening up here. <laughs> yeah. Fairly, uh, fairly obvious. Fairly obvious. <laughs> uh, Stannis and Davos were a little close to the edge of the wall. I kept thinking that as well. I kept thinking, like, all it would take is, like, one really great gust of wind <laughs> to just blows Davos just, like, clean off the wall. He's really close to the edge. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, hey, Jon Snow, guess what? You know who's at Winterfell right now? The man who plunged a dagger into Robb Stark's heart. They call him yeah. Roose Bolton. Yes, and John, he would love nothing more than to avenge Rob Stark, but he's a man of the Night's Watch now. He wants many things, but he's got a job to do, so he's not going to be tempted here. Stannis wants the wildling army to work with him and to go take Winterfell. Right, and this comes as a surprise to John. He doesn't really know exactly how Stannis plans to pull off a move like this uh stannis lets john in on the plan because he needs john's help he wants mance raider to to take a knee uh to bow before the true king of westeros for the king beyond the wall to uh to shirk his his claims to any sort of kingly duties and to fall in line behind stannis and have the wildlings fall in line as well and john does not feel like this is a likely bet and if john is not able to convince uh mance by by nightfall then mance raider will be burned alive publicly which is i hear a bad way to go that is a bad way to go stannis has a full pardon for the wildlings uh, if they will go on this quest seems like a decent deal you know like i feel like if you're mance raider like oh it's not bad Mm mm-hmm I mean, I think we could take on some northerners better than we can take on some white walkers. You would think that this makes sense if you're Mance Raider. Yeah. Um, If you are getting updates from the Iron Bank of Bravos, what is your reaction to hearing uh, this latest update of what Stannis is doing with your money? Uh, probably not great that he is like using the money to just recruit a bunch of people from beyond the wall who, uh, have this reputation as being like, uh, like child killing, uh, potentially bear fornicating (laughs) monster Mm -hmm. people. Like, I think like he'd be a little on edge. I think maybe like a little bit of a wait and see because you're in so deep anyways. It's like, all right, let's just see how Stannis pulls this one off. And if he doesn't, we're, we're coming for our funds. But I, I think... I'd be nervous. I'd be nervous. Yeah, just in terms of the Stannis storyline, I feel like at the end of season three, they look into the flames. uh, They see the White Walker army. It's almost like that they are the ones that they identify. Ah, that's the real threat. They go to the north. They go beyond the wall. And then they have their eyes focused on Winterfell. Right. Yeah. Well, they're now like they're coming down from, you know, they went all the way north. And now they're working their way south. Uh, you know, maybe that's what they, they feel like they need to, like, set up shop at Winterfell, build their stores there, and then they're going to be primed and ready to fight the White Walkers. At Winterfell, they're going to let the White Walkers come south of the wall? I think that they probably figure if they don't take care of Roos Bolton and all of those people who are not going to really abide the idea of Stannis Baratheon calling himself king right. and hanging out here Maybe in the north. Maybe they feel like sitting ducks at Castle Black. With yes, the they got to take him out. Yeah. It's the same idea that Jon Snow had, basically, of why he had to go after uh, the great Carl Tanner of Gin Alley. <laughs> I guess so. You know? <laughs> remember that guy yeah of course, how could i forget i know uh he's a somebody a, sent me fan a art of legend carl, yeah somebody sent me fan art of carl tanner in the mail the other day yeah Got like a, a printed out image of carl tanner yeah sent to me right, that really that takes a toll on the uh printer i think also <laughs> um sure all right Let's go to the Vale and check in with what is going on with the training of Sweet Robin, because uh, Sweet Robin is a master swordsman at this point. Yeah, and we had thought that we had seen the last of Sweet Robin for a time anyway in season four. We were wrong. We had like a bonus Sweet Robin scene here. Yes, he is uh, getting his uh, lunch handed to him. Uh, Maybe he can (laughs) have uh, uh, Ollie come and uh, maybe train with him because uh, Ollie would kick his ass. Yeah, Ollie would would beat him down. Yes. Um, Lord Royce uh, says that he is swinging a sword like a girl with palsy. That is a quote. Oh, God. (laughs) 
that's horrible. Oh, that's horrible. Jan Royce with the zingers. Yes. Littlefinger is bullish, though. He says, oh, he, maybe he's he's young. Right. He's got time. He's mm-hmm. got time. He'll, he'll yeah. be just 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 you wait. Uh, that's not his gift. His gift is not as a warrior. He has a different gift. He is the gift of a great name. Robin Aaron does. This is a good name. Great last name. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and, uh, Peter Baelish says sometimes that's all you need is a, is a great name because of course, Littlefinger has great aspirations for what to do with, uh, with, uh, all of these different legacies that, uh, all of these plans of his will certainly come to uh, to fruition in a really great and exciting and satisfactory way. We're going to see Littlefinger help Sansa up and they're going to like uh, gallivant uh, along away from uh, what's going on uh, in the Eerie. But Josh, I, I did feel like that uh, Littlefinger was like a little bit like rubbing his relationship with Sansa in uh, uh, Lord Royce's face here, right? Uh, I like don't holding, think he like, uh, is like uh, leading Sansa by the hand. It's like, uh, all right, you guys uh, didn't get away with the Lysa Aaron murder that long ago. Yeah, it seems like in, they, they've really taken control of the veil. Like everybody in the veil has totally turned their their uh, their opinion on Littlefinger, at least for right now. Later on, they will they will not be such big fans. Okay. Did you just real quickly? Did you like how Littlefinger he gets this note? Obviously, it's going to be the thing that compels him to to take Santa toward Winterfell. Uh, I liked how he like snuck it into like his little his like little sleeve. Mm-hmm. Like, does he have like sleeve pockets? Yeah, something his up notes? his sleeve. Oh my god! A little on the nose, Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Josh, we do a check in with Brienne and Podrick. I feel like Pod got a haircut for season five. Uh, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it seems like may- maybe like a, a minor amount of time has passed, um, in between seasons. So like, even if it was a day, perhaps Padraig's like, man, I could just, you know, we're, we don't have much else to do right now. Yeah. Just snip, snip. Brian wants to break up with pod. He does not want to leave. He's got nowhere else to go. I feel like every Padraig and Brian scene or most of them plays almost exactly the same. <laughs> Yeah. Like, Podrick, do you even know what a squire is? Yeah. Yeah, this is a squire, somebody who helps out knights. I'm not a knight, Podrick. <laughs> oh, well, you're, what should I do? I don't care, Podrick. Like, all of these scenes between these two, they're just, like, kind of always the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get lost, beat it, why are you following me? <sighs> Until, like, they become friends, but uh, for now, it's like, and even then, like, I feel like they're friends and then they're not friends again. It's always will they, won't they with Brandon and Podrick. Mm-hmm. All right. Sansa and Littlefinger are in the carriage and Sansa wants to know, why did you tell Lord Royce uh, that we're going to the fingers when we are uh, headed west? Right. They're headed west. She can tell just another sign that Sansa knows her stuff. She can even tell when the carriages are, are riding west. Uh, and because as honorable as Lord Jan Royce may be, he's not alone. And all of the other people that are around that Littlefinger could have been speaking to uh, it could have inadvertently picked up the information about where they're actually going and where they're going next. He doesn't want anybody to know. Yeah. They're going to a land so far that even Cersei Lannister can't get her hands on you. Mm, interesting. Okay. Uh, Cersei Lannister. She is talking with Loras Tyrell. Well, Loras Tyrell is talking to Cersei Lannister. <laughs> like, I don't feel like Cersei herself is really talking to Loras. Yes, he's going on and on and on. Cersei really could have uh, gone off on him. She uh, gives him, lets him off very easy. She's not even, she's barely paying attention to him. Yeah. Uh, Loras, uh, he's, he's just talking about, oh, your father, what a force to be reckoned with. He says it twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cersei's like, yeah, okay, cool. And Grand Maester Pycelle, He's trying to get a word I in. Talking, knew. Yeah, that that virus. <laughs> yes. What a okay. what a scumbag! But Cersei's not hearing it. All right. How about cousin Lancel? Yo, Lancel Lannister looking swole mm-hmm. on his comeback. Right. He's looking like you know he's gone. Uh, he's a sparrow now. He is. Uh, he's been hitting the gym. The the high sparrows. They they care about their their fitness. And Lancel just looking, looking cut. Same actor? Same actor. Same Eugene Simon, the great Eugene Simon. 
Good for Lance Lannister not getting recast uh, in between the seasons that we've seen him. Did we see him in season three? No, I think we last saw him in Blackwater, right? Yeah, he gets injured in Blackwater and we haven't seen him since. You're absolutely right, though. Like, Lance Lannister is like the exact type of character you imagine just getting like really quickly recast. (laughs) Right. New Lance. Okay. Yes. Uh, And so uh, Kevin Lannister uh, that, you know, he'll have a role here in uh, season five. Uh, Do we do we see Kevin Lannister before this? We've seen Kevin before. Yeah, we've seen him as early as the first season of the show, I believe. Uh, another instance of somebody who uh, you could you could totally imagine them recasting Kevin Lannister and they just didn't. They just kept the same Kevin Lannister in place. Uh, but he is kind of giving he's both apologizing for Lancel's odd appearance because Lancel is dressed as a monk at a funeral and it's just sort of a jarring no sight shoes. here in King's yeah. Landing. Yeah, exactly. Like he's of course, we know about the High Sparrow, but at this point in the show on the first watch, you really have no idea the characters in the show. They're not really sure what's going on with this yet. But Kevin is sort of introducing that idea here for the first time. He says they call themselves the Sparrows. They're fanatics. Religion has its place. But at a certain point, uh, they never would have come to a capital where Tywin was still kicking. Um, so they're just starting to set up what's going to be this sort of controversial, not super beloved storyline here with uh, with the High Sparrow that is going to be coming up later this season. I'm really interested to to know how we react to that stuff here on the rewatch, Rob. I remember uh, both of us, uh, you especially, being frustrated yeah. with all of the High Sparrow stuff, but knowing how it concludes with that great Light of the Seven sequence at the start of the season six finale, uh, which I maintain, I think, is an all-timer game of thrones sequence um i wonder if uh if any of this will will improve in our estimation knowing where it's gonna wind up cersei and lancel are going to go down a little bit of ancient history here between them and lancel wants to like apologize for basically you know being uh so so tempting that uh cersei was unable to keep her hands off of him back in the day well, that's because Lancel looks now like he always thought he looked, mm-hmm. right? Like he's like now, now, like now that he's hot, Lancel. Lancel's so hot right now. <laughs> like he thinks that he was he was always this hot. Yes, he also is reminding Cersei that he does have some uh, dirt on her. Also about how yes. he poisoned Robert, and like, oh, she's like, oh yeah, I forgot you have a. Uh, this is another loose end. Yeah. Oh God, so many loose ends. Too many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Lancel will pray for uh Tywin Saul and uh Cersei finds that amusing. Yeah, the day Tywin Lannister's soul needs your help. Mm. Uh you know, that'll be a day. All right. Uh we see Loris Tyrell. He is in bed with Oliver. Oliver, we remember from uh Little Fingers Pleasure House. He was tasked with the Oberyn Martell account. Yes, he was. He was the uh, he was the point person, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yes, on the uh, on the Red Vipers tab. Yes, um, have we seen him with Loras Tyrell before, or is this the 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 first time we're seeing these two characters together? I think that they've given each other eyes before. Uh, I think that they, if I'm remembering right, if that's at the at the purple wedding, they they looked across at each other. Maybe at one point in time, they've looked at each other. Um, clearly, they have done a lot more than look at each other since then. Uh, clearly, Oliver's work on the Red Viper account has uh, has bared some fruit that he can look at a birthmark and and see Dorn. Sees Dorn uh, everywhere. Just, yeah, he wants to go to Dorn. Dorn, on, <laughs> Dorn, on, Dorn the on the brain. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Marjorie just uh, walks in, does not uh, seem to feel like she's intruding at all, and uh, she wants to say, okay, Oliver, uh, we have to go now. We're keeping the king waiting. Yeah, I like this. Uh, you know, there's a closeness between Marjorie and Loris uh, where there is just like there, nothing is sacred between these two. Clearly, I think Loris is like a little off guard, but Marjorie doesn't really seem to care much. She doesn't care much. Uh, she says maybe Loris should be more discreet, though. Lord's is like, well, yeah, why? What's the point? Mm. It's not like me sleeping with this guy is going to get us both killed, kind of. Yeah. And again, this is an example of uh, that Marjorie's instincts are on point here. Yeah, it probably would have been better if Loris and Oliver weren't together because Loris being with Oliver will indirectly lead to them both getting killed. Okay. 
Marjorie and Loris are talking about how, okay, well, now he doesn't have to marry Cersei, and now uh, Marjorie is going to have to deal with her as a mother-in-law, and Marjorie very coyly is saying, well, perhaps. Yeah, like, she has some ideas for why why she's not going to have to deal with Cersei for much longer. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, those ideas uh, are not great. They're not great. Uh, you know, it, I think the battle of the wits between Cersei and Marjorie is about to heat up, and that'll be fun. That'll be fun to to revisit because I think both Natalie Dormer and Lena Headey play these characters so well, and yeah. when they're in open opposition with each other, I think it's it's really really fun. Well, actually, what what are Marjorie's plans right now? I mean, obviously, she's thinking about something. Don't ask that question. Okay. I don't know the right. answer. <laughs> <laughs> because it, I mean, it would be hard to say that, she, you know, she's really playing the 4D chess so that she feels like that. OK, the you know, the high sparrow is here and like, we can get them yeah. on our side. And, uh, you know, Cersei is, you know, done a lot of bad things. Yeah, we got to get deeper into the season for my memory to be jogged enough to to remember exactly what Marjorie's up to. Mm-hmm. Here. But Cersei is the one that's going to really, you know, instigate the high sparrow. So I'm not sure that, you know, how Marjorie could be thinking about that right cersei's plans are gonna there's gonna be some uh holes in her logic as well right obviously okay back in pentos uh Tyrion and varus have a, a great conversation a little bit of a roast uh they're going back and forth uh eunuch spider master whispers imp half man it's a little bit of a roast like if this is their idea of a comedy routine they got to work on it a little <laughs> bit just like hurling nicknames at each other yeah you know? well Tyrion's can, already hurling in this episode Yes, he's hurled once yeah. before. Uh, Tyrion said, Varys, why did you let me out? Right. And Varys, uh, he he feels that Tyrion could be useful, uh, that he could be a useful man in the wars to come, mm-hmm. in, uh, in the conflicts that are on the way. He believes men of talent have roles to play in the war to come. Yeah. And Tyrion is a man of talent. Yes. Okay. Well, Tyrion's not interested. He doesn't want to be uh, a soldier in this war. He's done with Westeros. And Westeros is done with me. Uh, yeah, Tyrion would prefer to drink himself to death here at Illyrio's. And we have no idea what is coming uh, to Tyrion Lannister in the final season of Game of Thrones. So hard to know whether or not this would have been a preferable plan to just <laughs> just park it here at Illyrio's and not go any further. Uh, I will be very, uh, very curious to see, like everybody else, how the story is going to end for him. But Varys is going to talk about how uh, we need peace. We need prosperity. We need a land where the powerful don't prey on the powerless. And you could help somebody sit on the Iron Throne who could create that type of universe. The Seven Kingdoms need somebody who's stronger than Tommen, but gentler than Stannis. A monarch who can intimidate the High Lord and inspire the people. A ruler loved by millions with a powerful army and the right family name. And then Tyrion has the great line of good luck finding him with Varys's better response of who said anything about him. Yes. And we want to go to Marine to meet Daenerys Targaryen to decide if the world is worth fighting for. Uh, great setup here for what's to come in season five. But except the payoff of the promise of the road trip between Varys and Tyrion is unfulfilled unfulfilled i mean i love the Tyrion and jorah stuff so don't get me wrong like i really love that um but if you're if you're really eager to see Tyrion and Varys's road show it's cut very very short um of course Tyrion and Varys are gonna have a ton of great scenes together still moving forward in the show so i think ultimately in the grand scheme of things it's not the end of the world i think we get a lot of good scenes from uh from Tyrion and jorah coming together i i thought that you were gonna say the payoff of the promise of a talented man like Tyrion Lannister making a huge difference. That's where things get a little dicey, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's, he's actually, he's not so great in terms of what he does for Daenerys. Like he's constantly yeah. making these controversial choices. He's going to be outsmarted by Cersei at every yeah. corner. Uh, sad to say that, uh, you know, if we're going to look at Tyrion's resume, uh, the best stuff is in the rearview mirror. It is. It is. I think great Peter Dinklage acting is in the horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so far, uh, unless, you know, the final season really shows Tyrion coming back in full form. And I think that it's likely that some really great 
you know, triumphant Tyrion moment is in the offing. Um, season seven is mostly a season of lows for Tyrion. Like everyone was so amped up about like, oh, Tyrion knows the dungeons and the sewer system of Casterly Rock. That's going to pay off in a huge way. He's going to conquer Casterly Rock. It's like, ah, they kind of figured that out. They kind of knew what you were going to do. So we're just still waiting. Still waiting for Tyrion to really show up, I think. Okay. All right. Let's go back to Marine. And we saw in season four that Dario and his dar had a mission to Yunkai and they're back. Yes, they have returned. Uh, It was a resounding success, but the the Yunkish would like to negotiate some terms with Daenerys. And, uh, you know, so much fun here to be had with the uh, political uh, climate in uh, the East. And uh, Daenerys and Hisdar are going to talk it through about how uh, the everybody would really love to see the uh, fighting pits reopened. Not Danny. No. Not interested. Yes. Uh, it's like literally everybody here wants the fighting pits to reopen. Even the fighters. Like everybody wants this. Everybody feels good about this. Uh, uh, we know that Dario is a fan of the fighting pits himself. He's going to try and convince Danny. Uh, Danny is an automatic no. No fighting pits. How many times must I say no before no. you understand? She says it's like human cockfighting. Yes, and nobody wants to see these people going head-to-head in the gladiatorial arena, killing each other for pleasure. This is not something that Daenerys wants to see in her city. Cut to Danny and Dario sexy time, and uh, Dario, we're getting a lot of uh, juicy butt here. Yes, more Dariere, always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, and he tells the whole story about how, you know, oh, I love the fighting pits, that my mother was a whore, and she traded me to the fire. The fighting pits. It was the greatest thing. I was so famous. I, 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 I love fighting pits. It's the best. <laughs> his like origin story is really dark but he tells it so excitedly where he's like oh it's really actually pretty good like i feel like uh his sales pitch could could use some work here for for danny uh but he's like but if i hadn't done any of that stuff i would never have met you Mm -hmm. yeah i joined the second sons and then yada 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 i'm here yeah, it gets to a point where, you know, Danny's starting to open up about her insecurities and she's like, I'm the I'm the mother of dragons, but I don't want any more kids to be killed by my dragons. No one knows where Drogon is and my other dragons like I can't control them anymore. They're in a basement. And Dario says a dragon queen with no dragons is not a queen. And it's going to lead uh, Daenerys to go to the to the dragon basement uh, looking for Viserion and Rhaegal. And when she finds them, they're furious. They're not happy. Uh, yeah. And her control over her dragons has uh, diminished greatly, I think is safe to say. Right. I was watching this with my headphones on. And then uh, when the dragons uh, start screaming, I, I, I jumped. I was like, ah, you'd forgotten. Well, I didn't know it was gonna be so loud. Yeah. You had the volume turned all the way up. Yeah. <laughs> Got to put it a little <laughs> lower. Right. Yeah. All right. So the dragons are not happy. They're upset. They're not happy. Okay. Uh, let's go to Castle Black, our uh, final location for this episode. Uh, Jon Snow is going to have a talk with Mance and say, like, hey, look, I uh, got a good deal. Got an offer on the table. Uh, so uh, what do you think? No. But come no. on. Yeah. Mance Raider <laughs> is, is terrible here. Uh, where Mansur is like, you know, if I bend the knee, the wildlings, they get to fight a bunch of northerners who they could probably trounce and they're safe and they're pardoned and they don't get killed by white walkers. But then they, but they won't respect me. Mm-hmm. They won't respect me at all. And what could be worse than that? And John's like, well, you could be burned alive. Ah, that sucks. Yeah. But I think losing respect would be worse. Yeah. And John talks about how, like, but yeah, then the Night King is coming and, uh, you know, the White Walkers are going to wipe out everybody and there's not even going to be anybody to remember you. Yeah. And Mance is going to be like, but the respect thing, I just, I'm, I'm having a hard time losing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I, I don't, like, I don't, I don't follow, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's, it feels it feels oddly disconnected for the character to me where like Mance Raider's whole thing 
is about getting the wildlings south of the wall, no matter the cost, so that they don't get killed when the White Walkers show up. And he has one move that he can make here that will guarantee their safety. If he bends the knee before Stannis Baratheon, he will pardon all of the wildlings. And what? They won't follow him anymore? Well, if he's really as altruistic as he has claimed to be, then he's not going to care. And he even says, F my pride. This isn't about pride. But it sounds like it's about pride. Right. Yeah. Uh, he says that, that look John the reason if you don't understand why I don't want to fight the wildlings in a foreigners war then then uh, you you don't get me at all exactly and it's like well and I clearly don't get you because I really thought that you just didn't want to die at the hands of the white walkers uh, and it seems like it's like it's not as cut and dry as off that I know it's a it's an excellently acted scene Kieran Hines again excellent actor when he finds out how he's going to die yeah uh, when he says they'll burn you alive and you just see that twitching in his <laughs> face bad way to go yeah. <laughs> that's an incredible moment I just feel like the the cohesiveness of the argument this is not the same man who or the same mans even who has uh who has you know organized this plan who has spent his whole life organizing all of these different clans to come together so it just doesn't really hold up super well to me um i don't remember exactly how this plays in the book i do think it's fairly similar in the book but it's been a while since i've read a dance with dragons um certainly what they end up doing with mance on the show versus what they end up doing with him in the book is is very very different in terms of what's coming next can you uh, reset for me what they do to mance in the book sure so in in the book uh Mance is is uh, he's taken out into the courtyard and he's burned alive and horribly publicly executed in this way in front of everybody. Jon Snow, if I if I remember right, I don't think that he euthanizes him with a bow and arrow. Maybe he does. Either way, he's he's killed in front of everybody, except you come to find out that that wasn't Mance Raider who was killed. After all, Melisandre cast a glamour on the Lord of Bones and made the Lord of Bones look like Mance and made Mance Raider look like the Lord of Bones, essentially Freaky friday the two of them, mm -hmm. and so burns the Lord of Bones and secretly enlists Mance Raider to be like a spy that she's going to send to infiltrate Winterfell, and he becomes like secret agent Mance. Uh, and I don't think that... Exactly I know, indeed. And I don't exactly know why that happens uh, from George R. R. Martin's perspective. It's just like another like secret identity plot line, and he has a thousand of those already. So I don't mind that it's missing from the show, especially because I feel like they've already kind of butchered Mance Raider for the show. Um, but I think that George R. R. Martin just really loved Mance Raider and didn't want to kill Mance Raider and wanted to come out with some sort of way to keep him alive. And the only way was to turn him into a secret agent and send him to Winterfell. Mm hmm. All right, uh, let's get to the courtyard. And uh, Stannis is going to be uh, sentencing Mance Raider. And uh, says to Mikhail, look, uh, or I guess it's not sentencing at this point. Uh, Mance Raider still has the choice. Uh, hey, look, uh, you know, kneel and live. And Mance uh, says, uh, this was my home for many years. I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. And right. So it's just it's proceeding as planned at this point. Stannis doesn't really drill down is like a, that sounds like a no. Are we, <laughs> just, just, just for the record. Yeah. Wanna, could you just be clear? Could you be clear? Like, uh, all right. This isn't happening. Uh, Melisandre can't wait. She's got a torch. She needs to use it. And she's got an itchy trigger finger at this point. Yeah. I think I think she's really uh, she's really eager to to burn somebody. So if it's Mance, if it's somebody else, but right now it seems like it's yep. going to be Mance. And uh, Melisandre is telling the free folk, uh, you know, there's only one true king. His name is Stannis. This is your king of lies here. Right. Uh, you know, you choose the light or you choose the darkness. We choose good. or We choose evil. We choose Stannis or we choose Mance. Please choose Stannis. And then she burns Mance. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Mance is the king of lies. That means a, a little, you know, uh, very harsh. Yeah. yeah, very harsh. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and people are not loving this. Tormund doesn't like it. Uh, Gilly can't look. No. And because like he's like, you got to imagine the whole thing is highly unpleasant. Uh, no, somebody know, the, was loving it. Oh, he was a fan. Well, the lady Celise was like, <laughs> oh, Celise was really enjoying it. Yes. Like, I love yes. this. 
very much. And I, I think, again, like that's just in such stark contrast to how things are going to wind up for her, where uh, somebody burning alive is going to be the thing that does her in as well. All right. Jon Snow, he takes bow and arrow and says, all right, enough of this. Yeah, enough of this of, of this farce. And he kills Mance Raider and, you know, drops the bow and arrow, drops the mic. And it's the end of the episode. Very dramatic. Uh, pour one out for Mance Raider. We hardly knew ye. Three episodes or something like that total. Like maybe like four, five mm-hmm. at the most. Yeah. Uh, so it's a short run for Mance Raider across his three seasons of Thrones. He is dead now. And in killing Mance Raider, Jon Snow, he earned some collateral, I think, with the wildlings. Like that was like a, a nice thing for him to do. All right, Josh, there you have it. The season premiere of Game of Thrones season five. A great episode. A really good episode of Game of Thrones. You know, uh, I would say probably an upper half uh, episode of the show for sure. Yeah, uh, very strong, really sets a lot of great stuff up. It is not this episode's fault that some things don't fully deliver. And I'm more optimistic heading into the rest of season five than than I uh, than I expected to be. So strong, strong, strong beginning for sure. Okay. Really enjoyed this episode. All right. Wars to come. They'll be spectacular. <laughs> uh, next time we will catch up with Aria in uh, the House of Black and White. And uh, anything else that you remember off the top of your head from next week's episode? Oh, so we're definitely we're gonna we're gonna get into everything with Arya, which is going to be exciting. Uh, nice to nice to see Jake and Hagar again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is going to start to to play out. We're gonna get the start of the Dorn yep. storyline. Yeah, that is that is that is going to happen. Yep, we're gonna so. see uh, the Water Garden. Water Garden's happening. <laughs> uh, we're going to see Danny and, and Barrist and Selmy are going to start getting Sand a little snakes. bit closer. Yeah, Sand Snakes are going to show up. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, Jon Snow, he's going he's gonna to win the election. Ooh. Very exciting news. Yeah. Okay. An outsider coming in, no experience, and just sweeping the election unexpectedly. Yep. Should be fun. Unfamiliar territory. Uh, yeah, Josh. Uh, Nobody knows so, what that's so, like. So much to talk about next time on yes. Game of Thrones. Of course, uh, Josh, you've been uh, very busy podcasting away here on Post Show Recaps. Post Show Recaps is, uh, we're in like a, a prolific period of time, an unexpectedly prolific period of time for Post Show Recaps right now. We've got the Game of Thrones rewatch is in full swing. Uh, Better Call Saul is returning this week where Rob and Antonio are going to be rocking the mic about season four of Better Call Saul. Antonio Mazzaro and I have reunited. We are podcasting about uh, The Sinner, 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 Chicken Dinner, Mm -hmm. uh, USA Network thriller that's kind of a a pseudo-anthology show. There's one carryover character from season one to season two, which is the the season that we're podcasting about now. Carrie Coon character? in, no, that's the that's the different character. Carrie Coon uh, of The Leftovers is on this show, and it's great murder mystery type of show. Uh, Bill Pullman uh, or Bill Pol- Bill Pullman Antonio, mm-hmm. as, as we've been as we've been calling him. So that podcast is proceeding apace. Uh, that is going to be dropping on Thursday mornings. And the great Emily Fox and I are still trucking away at Sharp Objects. We are halfway through Sharp Objects at this point. Uh, having a really good time podcasting about uh, a very challenging show that uh, is 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 dark and full of terrors, much like Game of Thrones. All right, and don't forget, Fear of the Walking Dead is That's also right. uh, around the corner as well. So I almost did a lot I going on. Did. Subscribe on postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes for everything that we're doing here on Post Show Recaps. Uh, Josh, uh, do you have a, a hashtag for today? Letters to penthouse. That doesn't work. <laughs> uh, no, it was uh, American Harpy Story. <laughs> okay, good. All right. We've got some hashtag contenders this week. There you go. All right. Uh, in a minute. Follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He's at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Sistrino. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.